check. Am I on? Yeah, there we go. Sweet. Yes, Julia, and then I have two little kids that are like bundles of joy, Brielle and David. And we just had a snow day before coming, uh, me flying over to Phoenix. So we had an epic time in the snow in Reading. But they send their love, and, uh, and they're praying for you guys. And next time, they're coming with me. Because my wife is a powerhouse. Like, you want to just hear about our first time going to the movies? Did I share that when I was here last time? Yeah. Did I share about our first date? Did I share about our first date? I did. So then let's do another one. We'll just do a different one. So, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. This is like... This is, I mean, this is 150th date or something like that, you know, you know and, and what I love about our date nights is we have a lot of connection, a lot of romance, and we also, in that romance, see people get saved, healed, and delivered, and it makes for an epic date night. And so uh, we, I was going to Australia, this is like, oh, geez, seven, eight years, yeah, 2013, maybe 2012, so nine years, I don't know. Anyways, uh, time flies. And, uh, and so... In Reading, it's a pretty small town, so if you go to a restaurant, you're going to see like five of your closest friends. So you, we, we went and got food to go, and uh, we went to the river trail in Sacramento, uh, the Sacramento River in Reading, really romantic hotspot. And we, <laughs> there's a parking lot that's really you know, full, full of you know, traffic, and there's another parking lot that's like gravel, and it doesn't have many people. And so we go over there because it's like, okay, hey, we just get to, you know, protect our time together. I'm leaving for Australia. I have a, we have a rule that I try not to be gone longer than 10 days for an international trip. And usually I'm only gone four to five days uh, for like domestic trips uh, per month. You know, I will not, per year I take one or two international trips for 10 days. Anyways, I'm going to Australia for 10 days. So I'm like, hey, this is, let's have a special time together. And we have this empty parking lot. We're about ready to eat our food. And this white uh, explorer comes and decides to park right next to us. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this lady thinking? Like, doesn't she know it's date night? Like, and, and you know, and I'm just like, well, Julia, should we leave? Should we, you know, and, and, and I just think to myself, you know what? This is too crazy that she would choose to park right next. We have to minister to this lady. And I said, Jewel, is she parked right next to the, you know, passenger, uh, passenger side and I, we rolled down you know Julia's window and I said excuse me ma'am we're on date night <laughs> and you parked right next to us and we feel like God is you know ordaining your steps to bring you right next to us and we want to pray for you were you in a car accident uh, four months ago where you hurt your neck and your back and she goes oh my gosh how would you know that I'm like well we don't know that God knows that and he wants to heal you so we begin to pray for her, and then I have this vision of her being six years old in front of a TV, and she saw this, uh, you know, this like a show or whatever on Africa, and she told God, God, I want to go to Africa one day. And I told her, and so she starts to break down crying. She's like, yeah, I was six years old, I watched this. And I said, uh, God wants to break uh, depression, like you feel stuck, and he wants to break depression. And she goes, I came here tonight to commit suicide. I said, God, if you don't speak to me by 10 o'clock at night, she said that in the morning, I will throw myself off the Sundial Bridge and I'm, I'm going like, to commit suicide. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, well, here, we're going to pray for you. And then I've had this whole word about Africa, and I knew in my spirit that as a prophetic act, me and Julie needed to give her money for her passport. She didn't have a passport. So we give her money, she gets healed in her back and neck, and she's crying, and she ends up coming to Bethel, staying connected to us, and then she went to Africa a year later. 
I love that. That was date night. So that's Julia. She is uh, a fireball. Yes, so you do remember her preaching at a movie theater. Uh, she did that once. I know some of you weren't here a year and a half ago when I was here, and that was our first time going to the movies, which was a movie, Bruce Almighty. And she leaned over to me towards the end, and she said, honey, which right there was amazing. She said, honey, in my left ear. I mean, that's worth the $40 to pay for movie tickets and the bonbons and the popcorn and all that. Because I wasn't paying money to see Jim Carrey and Morgan Freeman. I was paying money to sweet, you know, sit next to this, like, beautiful girl. Hopefully we could hold hands. Hopefully, you know, anyway, some sweet nothings. And I got it. So I was done, you know. I was, I was good. I mean, I'm 21 years old at this time. I mean, why, why, what, guys, you guys take girls to the movies? Like, you guys go to the movies, right? You take a girl to the movies? Yeah. I mean, hopefully you could hold her hand. So anyway, she says, honey, and then she says, just amazing words. I feel like the Lord want, is telling me to give an altar call. But she was giving me the look like she was the prophet and I was the evangelist. Like, like I need to go and, you know. And I said, honey, I'm here to support you. Like, I'm here to be your ministry team. Like, I'll catch them when they fall. And she's like, well, what should we do? And, and, and so I said, I think we should go up to the screen, to the movie, you know, to the, to the screen, right in the ending credits. And Julia starts preaching the gospel about the Father's love and being, you know, that we're all made to connect to the Father in our special way, that we're all made in his image. And, and people, you know, are like listening and, you know, it's ending credits and, and then Julia sometimes will feel electricity go through her body when she feels the presence of God, and then she just has to run. So mid, midway of the gospel message, she runs out of the theater. But she didn't tell me that she was feeling the presence of God and ran out. Like, so I'm like, wow, like, you know, my girlfriend just left me hanging, and I batted cleanup. And so I said, all right, if you want to know Jesus as your best friend, like, you know, just, just you know, say this prayer after me. And, you know, there's a, a few people that were saying that prayer. So, but I went, afterwards I went to, where's Julia? Where's my girlfriend? And so I go out in the parking lot and she's got these two guys in the parking lot and she's doing this. And I'm like, oh, she's prophesying. And, and so I run over to her and, and I get to where, you know, I could hear her. And she goes, I see you in your bedroom to one of the guys. I see you in your bedroom. You have a black comforter. You have a red desk next to the bed. You got these four books. Uh, you're going to university to teach English. Uh, over your bed is a map of the world, and I see Cambodia, I see, you know, Thailand. You're going to teach English in, in these countries. And so the guy that's not receiving the prophetic word, he's looking at me, and he starts poking me in my shoulder. And he goes, are you guys aliens? <laughs> so I thought to myself, this is probably a good moment to, you know, talk to them about the prophetic. And I tell them, hey, we don't know these things about you, but God knows these things about you. He's the creator of the universe, and he created you, and he knows you intimately. He knows you intimately, but he desires that you would know him intimately. Do you want to know the creator of the universe? Do you want to invite him into your life? And they're like, yeah. And so we pray for him. We lead him to the Lord. And I said, hey, I want to introduce my other best friend, the Holy Spirit. And so we pray. And they get, like, we don't have catchers. We're, you know, we're out in the parking lot after Bruce Almighty. And they, these guys didn't come out of Bruce Almighty, by the way. They came out of a movie called Fast and the Furious. So they're just thinking about stealing cars and going fast. 
and and so the, the power of God hits them, and they fall, uh, you know, in the parking lot, and they're shaking under the presence of God, like like shaking really, really violently. And this guy drives up and goes, "Oh my gosh, are these two men having seizures? Do we need to call an ambulance?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, sir. God's just touching them right now. Do you need do you need anything from God?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, ah," oh, and he hits the gas and he takes off. So. Julia definitely needs to be here next time, and we need to get her to preach because she is a fireball creature. And so, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, ben, that was one of the first things he said. Are you walking with a limp? And, uh, you know, it has been a fun season. It's, it's been an amazing season. It really has. Do you guys understand that two... Two of the greatest ways to receive impartation from heaven, to receive impartation from God, two great ways, is offense and inconvenience. <laughs> offense and inconvenience. Whenever I get inconvenienced, I'm like, oh, game on. That means God is getting ready to do something. There's an impartation from heaven. Now I'm about ready to step into my destiny. This is the way that God has been you know, teaching me for like 20-some years on understanding inconvenience. Uh, I remember the earthquake that hit Haiti in 2010. I went there as a first responder, and we had all these bags. We, we had, a, you know, like 100 pounds of rice. We had all this different stuff for a children's center. This children's center uh, orphanage, the, the building collapsed, and everyone 13 and over died. So we had these 13-year-olds all the way down to 2-year-olds, and we were joining them to another children's center, but we were bringing resources for them. And we get there, and they lost all of our bags. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We have all these resources. We have all the, you know, these gifts for these kids. And every day, I'd have to go back to Port-au-Prince into the airport and see, hey, are the bags here yet? Which would be like a two-hour round-trip ordeal. So I'm like busy on the ground doing all kinds of stuff. And then I'll be like, okay, we got to go back to the airport. Three days in a row, I went back to the airport. And on the third day, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, the third day, I go there, and I'm like, hey, they had like this you know, storage room where they would keep you know, the bags that would, apparently were coming. And I said, hey, can we get in the storage room? Can we see if our bags are in there? And the guys are like, yeah, you know what? I don't know where that guy is that has the keys. Like, he just left two hours ago, and we haven't seen him. Maybe he's on a lunch break. Maybe he's on. I'm like, well, how long is a lunch break? Like, and we're like, well, well, we'll let you know. And I'm like, we have all this, you know, like, this is so inconvenient. So I look at my buddy. And I say, hey, this is ridiculous. This is, this is demonic warfare. And how we do spiritual warfare is we advance the kingdom of heaven. We worship, we release joy, and we heal the sick, and we cast out demons, and we raise the dead. And we, you know, that, that's spiritual warfare. That's, that's, that's what we do. So I said to my buddy Nick, I'm like, hey, this is not okay. Let's go and pray for people. This is so inconvenient that we need to begin to pivot and not be focused on the inconvenience, right. but to be focused on heaven, to be focused on the kingdom of heaven and the king of glory. So we went to these blind beggars, two of them, and we began to pray for their eyes, and their eyes open up, and we start dancing in the streets of Port-au-Prince, and this guy comes and goes, hey, I'm the guy with the keys, and uh, uh, will you come with me? And he opens the door, and all of our bags are there. Inconvenience, it screams opportunity. So I'll give you just a little bit of history of like kind of my 
last 12 months, maybe a little more than 12 months actually, because it, uh, I was a part of a conference in the beginning of November of 2019 where I was with some rabbis and they were just like telling me about 2020 because it's Jewish New Year, obviously is you know, October uh, of the year before. So they were telling me about the Jewish New Year you know, uh, that started in October 2019 and it being the, the year of the mouth, the year of decree. And they were just, we were talking about all this stuff and you're hearing all these prophetic, you know, words and all these prophets. And there was something stirring in my heart for 2020 and January was amazing. And then you have the Super Bowl, where Kansas City comes back from the, you know, 49ers, which was a kind of like three generations of, of cheering on the 49ers. I'm a California boy and my grandfather would always cheer for the 49ers. So obviously I'm cheering for the 49ers, but I would remember hearing a word from Bob Jones in the late 90s. And when I hang out with Bob in like the early 2000s, he would, he would tell me it sometimes like, you know, like, boy, Kansas City's going to win a Super Bowl. And when they do, sorry, he's an Arkansas boy. And uh, that's a little bit of a Bob, you know, uh, impersonation. But we'll just keep it going. And he goes, yep, Kansas City, when they win the Super Bowl, the apostolic chiefs will be in place for the billion soul harvest. And so I would hear that, like, who here has prophetic words, dreams from God that you've been contending for, stewarding for decades? Okay, there's a few of you. And I love that. I love being in the journey with God. And then you start having this expectation. You start, like, seeing things line up and confirmations. And so, so February 2nd, 2020, Kansas City, they call it a Sports Illustrated, the Kingdom Comeback. And Kansas City wins the Super Bowl, where that's Andy Reid's 222nd career victory. You only have 18-game seasons, so to get to 222 career victories, is a, you know, that, that takes a while. So on February 2nd, 2020, 222nd career victory, Andy Reid's second Super Bowl. So two is kind of a big number. Uh, just to give you a quick deal with 222 for me, uh, I started seeing the numbers 222 in 2005. And I, for about a good year, I would be consumed with this number where I would be put in a hotel room and it would be 222. I'd buy a sandwich and my change would be 222. I would wake up in the middle of the night and it'd be 222 in the morning. I would, you know, look at my like uh, mileage gauge and it would be 222 miles. Like it just was constantly screaming at me. And, and I knew God was speaking, but I didn't know what it meant. And people are like, well, what does it mean? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm so excited that he's speaking. Yeah. It's so important hearing the voice of God that we don't get frustrated or offended or like, God, why are you teasing me? That's not his nature. It's to invite you in. And I'm so excited that I'm hearing his voice. I don't know what he's saying yet, but there's something about celebrating mystery. There's something about going on the journey where I don't have to force it. I don't have to manipulate God. I get to just be in the moment of he's speaking. I don't know what he is saying. I don't know what the interpretation is, but I'm not going to make an interpretation. I'm going to be secure in hearing the voice of God and just be really excited that I'm hearing his voice. So, after a year or so of, of having this, I wake up in the middle of the night and there's this angel standing in the foot of my bed. And he's like going through the ceiling, like he's a pretty big angel. And I knew that he was a messenger angel and he had a message. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna wait. 
So I sitting up in bed. Julia wakes up and she goes, wow, that's one of the biggest angels I've ever seen. And then she rolls over and goes back to sleep. And I'm like, how did you roll over and go back to sleep? And so I'm sitting there waiting. And this angel opens his mouth and out come the numbers 222. And I see the reflection from our closet mirror and it says 555. And then I see the reflection off my wife's digital clock on the mirror and it says 555. And I look at her clock and it's 222 in the morning. So at 222 in the morning, this messenger angel released a message of 222. And I'm like, what does it mean? So I'm pacing my living room, praying. And, and then moments like this is when I normally would call Bob. Bob would, uh, you know, some of you maybe don't know who Bob Jones is, but he's a, a real prophetic voice in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And uh, I could give you Bob stories for the next hour, but Bob was a real spiritual grandfather in my life. And so he gave me his number back in 2002 and said, hey, when God will tell you when to call me. And so what he would do is he would plug his phone in when God said, hey, so-and-so is going to call you. Otherwise, it would be disconnected. So there'd be times I'm like, I think I'm supposed to call Bob. And he would call, and there'd be nothing. It would be like the busy signal or the disconnected signal. I'm like, oh, I guess I got it wrong. And then there'd be other times that you would like be like, you know, ping-pong balling around. Like, should I call him? Should I not call him? You know, I don't want to bother him. And then you'd call him like, boy, I've been waiting three hours for you to call me. You know? <laughs> so anyways, I waited until about 5 a.m. Because I knew he's, on North, he's in North Carolina. It's okay, it's East Coast time. I'll call him at 8 a.m. That's, that's not, you know, rude. And, uh, and so I called him at, at 5 a.m., and he goes, you see that messenger angel that came to you last night, boy? And I'm like, yeah, Bob, that's why I'm calling. And he goes, yep, you know what it means, right? And I'm like, yeah, the number is 222. I don't know what it means. So, boy, do you read your Bible? It's, a, it's Ephesians 222 married to Revelations 22.2. And so, obviously, Ephesians 220 through 22 is all about the, Jesus being the chief you know, cornerstone and, uh, and, and we being the building blocks for the dwelling place, the habitation of the presence of God. And that Revelations 22, verse 1 and 2, is the river that flows from the throne room that has the, the, you know, the leaves of the healing of the nations planted in the river. And he said that those are married together, that the habitation will be uh, you know, the dwelling place, the church, the body of Christ will be planted in the river, and as a fruit, there'll be healing of the nations. So this, he began to tell me about... 555 is a triple grace, which is crazy because in 2013, when we bought our house, which is 547, next door to us is 555. So we live next door to triple grace, which is awesome. So, so he says that that's, that's grace for right now, and that 222 is the spirit of unity. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. And when this happened with Kansas City, I was like, oh my, the spirit of unity is here. We need to go after unity. We are in an invitation for unity. And it's so intriguing to be like living in this time and seeing <laughs> social media or seeing all this, you know, stuff that's happening where, you know, there's a lot, there's so much disunity. And I'm like, oh, that's right. We move in the opposite spirit. We have to have eyes to see, ears to hear. Because the enemy knows what's going on. So I was really excited. I left for Australia the day after the Super Bowl. And people, I'm, I'm traveling domestically through Australia. And, and half people are wearing masks. And, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm like, well, what, you know, what's going on? And then I'm like, oh, there's this coronavirus in China. And I, like, and I was like, God, what is this? What's going on? And the Lord's like, Chad, I'm going to teach you and the church how to be anchored in me and not be 
swayed, not be uh, out of alignment in the second heaven based on like what the enemy is doing. To be anchored in my nature. And I'm like, okay, sweet. So I, I go to Australia, come back, and then I go to New Zealand in the beginning of March. I get back March 8th, and then the lockdown happens. I live next to a Trader Joe's, and I love these like chicken burritos they have there and like the little you know, frozen section. And, and I show up, and all the, fro- all the chicken burritos are gone. And then I look down like the toilet paper aisle, and I see two ladies in their like, mid-50s fist fighting over the last roll of toilet paper. <laughs> so what is the spirit... And that's what the Lord said. Be anchored in my nature and don't be swayed by the spirit of the air. And so what is the spirit screaming at you when you see two ladies fighting for the last roll of toilet paper? That spirit is scarcity. Lack. There's not enough. So that opposite spirit is abundance. Knowing that my father is the provider, that the birds of the air don't worry, that I don't need to worry, that, that and a manifestation of abundance is, you know, my wife and I were ordained through Iris and Heidi Baker. She wrote a book, There's Always Enough. Like I've with, you know, in Mozambique, I've seen chicken multiply. I've seen beans and rice multiply. I've seen Christmas presents multiply. So I live in that reality. I'm anchored in his nature that one of the manifestations of abundance is generosity. So when I would be like, okay, God, how do I get anchored into you? When I'm feeling scarcity all around me, how do I get anchored into you? Oh, I need to buy people's groceries. So I would look, I'm like, whose groceries am I buying? And then I'd get in line, I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy that person's groceries. Because I'm moving in an opposite spirit. We're called to be anchored in his nature and to move in an opposite spirit to the spirit of the air. Jesus. It has been such an amazing time. When coronavirus kind of started in mid-March, and we didn't really begin to just pray and just ask God what's going on. And, and I had a dream. I had a dream that I was walking in a field, and I see this well, and I go to the well, and I see this man sta- uh, sitting next to the well, and I realize he's John G. Lake. And then he prays for me and my friend, Chris Kodosher, myself and and him. And he says, guys, I've carried the healing anointing for my generation. It's time for you to carry the healing anointing for your generation. He lays hands on us. And I see this wave. And I knew it was a wave of healing, but the crest of the wave said mental health. And this is something I came a year and a half ago and I talked about, you know, building a well of peace. I talked about mental health. I talked about how God wants to heal us of trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, You know, for the last two years, I've been working in drug and alcohol treatment centers. You know, just just going and just focusing, where is the enemy trying to attack my generation? You know, and the opioid crisis is is huge that hit in the mid-2000s. They say the opioid crisis is worse than the cocaine crack crisis of the 80s and the heroin crisis of the 90s combined. To give you a little bit of a a measuring stick, especially they say that drug addiction or um, uh, overdose Drug overdose has risen 42% in America with coronavirus. To give you another, you know, like a stat of the city of San Francisco, it's uh, 218 people have died of coronavirus since March, and 692 people have died of drug overdose in the city of San Francisco. It's triple. 
And so I, it's just intriguing to watch what's been going on for like six, seven years praying and interceding because to understand, you, it's so important to have horizontal intercession going on and to have compassion and empathy and to understand what the enemy is doing and understand how the enemy is attacking to move in that opposite spirit and say, all right, this is perfect. God gives solutions. And he raises up, you know, giant killers to bring solutions from heaven where the enemy is trying to come in, like a flood, like where the enemy uses, you know, this is Romans 8, 28, where the enemy uses for evil, God turns around for good. And it's been amazing this last year seeing, I've not seen this many people baptized, this many people saved since my Brownsville days in like 99 and 2000. It's incredible. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff in Brazil. So in America, this is the most I've seen. And it's exciting because we have to understand history has a tendency of repeating itself. That you had Western civilization stuck, literally stuck in the Dark Ages. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years stuck in the Dark Ages. The bubonic plague hits. And that generation coming out of the bubonic plague burst the Renaissance. I don't know about you, but that really gets me excited. People are having a hunger and a desire to know him unlike any time in history. God responds to the heart cries of people. And I've never seen it this right before where we just, you know, we canceled everything, all my conferences, everything that I was doing. And it was in July that I was like, well, it was, in, it was in the end of May where I was like, okay, I'm hitting it hard in the end of June all the way through, you know, September. Like, you know, hopefully this thing will be eradicated by September or something like that. And like, you know, and, you know, that's just where I was at at that time. And I'm like, okay, I'm pivoting. I don't have any, like, speaking engagements. And I'm just going to go down the beaches. And we're going to do these beach outreaches. We do these things called wow services, worship on water. We do uh, beach cleanups. We do all this, you know, and, and we were just seeing people get saved on the beach. We were seeing, I led, uh, I've, I've led over five people to the Lord in the water, in the ocean. While we're surfing in between set waves. Like, the, you know, I was in Oceanside, California, and I was surfing and I look at this guy and I'm like, hey man, do you have like pain in your left wrist? And he goes, yeah, I had surgery. It was a box surgery and I have a lot of pain there, a lot of discomfort. I pray for him. And I said, move it around. Like he starts moving around and we catch some more waves. I'm like, how's it going? He's like, oh my gosh, I could get up on my feet like easily and all stuff. And I said, hey, I, I see like Jesus, he, he had an address like of your heart uh, 20 years ago. And he goes, oh my gosh, I used to go to youth group 20 years ago and I knew Jesus. And I said, I see him like knocking on the door of your heart. And he goes, I want to ask Jesus. If this is Jesus that healed my wrist, I want Jesus again. And I led him to the Lord in the ocean. Like, I love that. We are living in such a time of opportunity. I mean, let's think about it. Like, you know, Reformation, one of, one of the keys, one of the key manifestations of Reformation is empowerment the people get empowered to connect with God. So you would have never had reformation if you didn't have innovation where someone created the printing press because everyone was hearing sermons in Latin and they had to read the Bible in Latin, which meant they didn't read the Bible. And then you had the invention of the printing press where they could read the Bible in their own language and it birthed and it helped fuel the reformation. We have the internet 
where we see maybe some of the blind spots, the shortcomings of, you know, social media and all this stuff, but you have to understand the opposite spirit. And I'm not going to get political and all this stuff because it's all about being connected to heaven and living above that stuff. But I've never seen so much criticism before where I'm like, you know, like, man, like, and that's one of the big things for us is we have to learn how to stay in our lane and celebrate other people's lane. I just know no one's lane is sitting in their living room scrolling through social media. That's no one's lane. just criticizing other people for just stewarding what they're called to do. I mean, I can't imagine Father Damien being alive today. If you don't know who Father Damien is, he responded to the call of the gospel to go to a group that no one else wanted to minister to. Lepers. Went to Molokai. I can only imagine. He would probably just get super scrutinized right now. But he was saying yes to Jesus. That was his lane. Jesus. All right, let's make this a legal meeting and turn to Romans 15, verse 13. This is what I've been meditated on through this last 11 months quite a bit. Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in those that trust in him, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is amazing. May the God of hope fill you with all, not some, not the majority, all joy and peace. Hope is the doorway that you walk through where you encounter all of the joy that, that, that you could possibly have and all the peace you could possibly have and those that trust in him, which is like the birthplace of hope. And I feel like that this is such a time of understanding trust, surrender, that we would trust in the Father. It's an act of worship where we are consumed with our time, our energy, our focus, that we begin to trust him in the times of uncertainty, in the times of chaos, in the times of whatever, that you begin to trust in him. Throughout my years just walking with God, there's been so many moments of trust. There's been tests. There's, uh, there's times when God will actually bring you to opportunities that you've been dreaming about. And will you discern the times and seasons of, is this the right time to say yes? Because sometimes it could be a test. I'll give you an example. Uh, I used to travel with Bill quite a bit, Bill Johnson, and we would go to Cheon's church in Harvest Rock down in Southern California quite a bit. And I would daydream of like, one day I'm going to minister on this platform. You know, I'm going to release words of knowledge and prophetic words and Holy Spirit outbreaks. And I would just like daydream of like, you know, and I'd always say a prayer since a little boy, God, make me the man of your right hand. Put me on like a glove the way you did Gideon. And so I was going to this uh, conference with Heidi Baker and Bill and Randy Clark, and, and we had just moved down to Southern California in Orange County to, to be uh, on staff at a church. And my wife was going to Azusa Pacific, and she was getting her music degree. And uh, I told her, hey, I'm going to this conference. She goes, hey, I have a musical performance on Thursday night. 
can you go to it, you know, like in between your conference? I'm like, yeah, totally. I'm a maximizer. I'm like, yeah, you're con you're, it's an 8.30 concert. I'll go to worship at Harvard Rock, and I'll scoot on over there. And so right before worship, Cheon grabs me and goes, hey, I've been hearing some of your testimonies, some of your stuff with God. Can you share a, a testimony right after worship? And I'm like, yeah, I could do it. I could do a three-minute testimony, you know, right before I get over to my wife's performance. And and so worship goes, and then Cheon calls me up to the stage. He's got the microphone. He's about ready to hand it to me, and he goes, what is on you? And he goes flying back into the drum set <laughs> with the microphone. And so I'm like, I need to take a quick evaluation. Like, what is on me? And, and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the man of your right hand. Like, you're putting me on like a glove. I could feel God all over me. And I'm like, I don't need a microphone. And I go, more, take it. And like, people just started getting blasted by God. Georgie Banoff is jumping over people, like, you know, tackling them. And Heidi and Roland Baker went flying back in the Korean pastor section, and their legs are up in the air. And, and Bill is just up there, like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Just thank you. And I'm just like, release. And then, you know, Cheon Army crawls to me, hands on the mic. I release this crazy testimony. And, and it's like, you just, I go to like uh, the wheelchair section. I say, get up in the name of Jesus. And like, have the guys like get up. And I, I don't know if like some of them maybe could stand, but then they start running. And I'm like, I don't think if they're in a wheelchair, they could run. So that's pretty amazing. And, you know, it was just like the power of God was so tangible. And it wasn't even like laying on of hands or anything. It just was like this presence. And I hand, I'm like, okay, I got to get to this musical performance. So I hand over the microphone to Che. I jump off the stage. I'm running, you know, stage left. And John and Carol are not grabbing and say, hey, we're supposed to minister tonight, but I think we're supposed to tag team. Like, you need to minister with us. And then Cheon hands over the microphone to his associate pastor. He runs over and goes, hey, I'm the father of this house. Like, you need to minister. I know that John and Carol are supposed to minister, but maybe you can minister first, and then, you know, they'll minister. And, and, I, and, and in my head, I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to show up to my apartment <laughs> where Julia will be there, and, and I'll have, like, some roses and some chocolates and, and a DVD of me ministering at Harvest Rock and saying, oh, so, so sorry, honey. You wouldn't believe what happened to me tonight, and I'll make it to the next performance, I promise, but, but look what happened. And thank God, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. I found myself saying, thank you so much, Che. What a, what a privilege, what an honor, what an amazing opportunity, but I made a commitment to my wife, and I need to go. And I think I broke some traffic laws getting to the performance, and... <laughs> I remember getting there like it just started and I'm trying to find a seat and you know I was like a little bit loud and somebody goes shh and this thing in me was like do you know who I am I'm the man of his right hand like it was just such a it was such a difference of atmospheres you know what I mean like thousands of people going ah you know and then like somebody goes shh and and and, and I sit down and I just knew in my spirit I just made one of the best decisions that I trusted in the Father that this is a total God daydream that he is leading me into. But if you have dreams, if you have moments with God, there'll be times when he will test you of when it begins to blow up relationships around you that you're able to say, yeah, no, I trust that God will bring me back around at the right time. And it's this place of trust. I talked to you guys about my car accident a year and a half ago. And you have to understand, like, I had a dream, 2016, I had a dream that I was stand-up paddleboarding Big Sur in California, and this cloud of healing came, and, and when I woke up in the dream, I knew, like, there was, like, this mandate to, like, paddle the coast of California, but I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'll do that, I'm, 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 you know, kind of in a season in 2017, 
you know, and I shared this already with you guys. 2017, we had a miscarriage, all stuff. So I only was putting that on hold. And then 2018, I started Catch the Wave. And we rented out Calvary Chapel. I brought in Heidi Baker to redig the wells of the Jesus People Movement. And, you know, we did this big wow service at Doheny. And people were getting saved. And it was amazing. And then I'm in my car accident. And I hear God say, and, you know, and I shared this already. So this is a little bit of repeat. But, I mean, like, we had, you know, a coven of witches show up with a, a, a coffin with my name on it. And this one witch cursed me that I would die the way my namesake died, which was my Uncle Chad who was killed in a car accident. And then I'm in a car accident. And here's the, here's the deal. When I'm in the ambulance, I hear God say, this is a reset season. And I knew exactly what that meant. It meant that it was a time to lay by the river. And, and, and that I had a team of nine people. I had, you know, three interns, six volunteers. And I knew to let, like, to lay down ministry to lay down this dream, to lay down, catch the wave, and to tell my team, I don't know when I'm coming back. I'm taking a time to rest by the river. And it was an act of trust. It was an act of surrender. It was an act of worship that I know who my father needs to make it happen. I trust in the father. And it wasn't until September 2019, so 11 months after my accident, that I began, like, we're, you know, Heidi, my wife, all these people were like, you need to jump back in. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I think that you're right. And I begin to jump back in. And then January 10th, I have a dream that I, this January 10th, I have a dream that I was standing at paddleboarding Huntington Beach. This is like where I was born. This is where I grew up. I have a dream. I'm standing at paddleboarding Huntington Beach. And I see this angel, the same angel that I saw in 2016 in my dream. And he has this gold net. And he puts the gold net into the ocean floor at Huntington Beach Pier. And then he goes south. And I'm like, well, where's this angel going? I'm like, I need to follow him. So I'm on a stand-up paddleboard. I follow him all the way to the San Clemente Pier, which Huntington Beach is the most north pier of Orange County, and San Clemente is the most south pier of Orange County. And he puts the other end of the net into the ocean floor, and I hear the Lord say, intercede. This is January 10th. This is like 21 days ago. And I put my hands up, and I just see this, this cloud of God's presence fall over Orange County. And I wake up from the dream, and I'm like, this is a prayer assignment. This is like a now thing. And... Tomorrow, I'm flying into Orange County to stand up paddleboard 42 miles Amen. to pray for our nation. The Lord wants to raise up intercessors. He wants you to begin to discover what your prayer mat is. Then maybe your prayer mat is a stand up paddleboard. Maybe your prayer mat is a bike. Maybe your prayer mat is on a horse. Maybe it's doing art. But that you begin to discover your authentic place of prayer. Because if you find out your authentic place of prayer, you begin to discover authority in prayer. But in this time, you have to understand, if you study history, we are in biblical times. And God always raises up intercessors, prayer warriors in these times. And you're one of them for such a time as this. But how it all starts is trust. What opens the door to hope, what, what opens the door to peace and joy in your life is trust, that you trust in the Father, the God of hope. And he wants to reestablish trust this morning. Wherever you, you, you maybe have lost it, maybe you know there, there's worry that's, that's come in, maybe, you know, God, where are you? Whatever it may be, he wants to reestablish trust in the midst of mystery, in the midst of not knowing. I'll never forget walking with Bill Johnson when he lost his dad, Earl. For a good year, I prayed, me and Chris Overstreet would go to Earl Johnson's house. He had pancreatic cancer. 
And we would just contend for his healing, and then he graduates. He dies. And Bill canceled everything. All of the speaking engagements, speaking at Sunday morning church, canceled Sunday, uh, 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 first year, speaking into first year students at BSSM. But I was in second year, and the Lord said, you could just stay with second year, which was only 38 of us. And we would sit on the couch, and we would cry with Bill for about a good six months. And I remember one time him coming in, and he said, guys, God is teaching me how to worship again. Then I'm, I choose to worship. It's an opportunity that I'll never have in heaven when I understand why my dad died of cancer that we've seen pancreatic cancer bow to Jesus so many times before, and I don't know why my dad didn't get healed. But I'm choosing to worship the healer. In the midst of not seeing healing, in the midst of disappointment, and it releases a fragrance to the throne room that we'll never have the opportunity to release when we're in heaven. And here we are in major inconvenience, but we have to see the opportunity. We have to see... God's perspective. And even in the midst of not knowing why or what, what is going on, all this kind of stuff that we choose to trust and we choose to worship, releasing a fragrance that we'll never have the opportunity to do when we get to heaven. So just put your hand on your heart. You can just close your eyes. Always way better for intentionality. Focus. Lord, I pray that you would reestablish trust. Like, I just keep on just seeing the, uh, you know, when, when you're, you're, you're rebuilding the walls and you're, you're putting, like, the, you know, um, all the, like the, the putty and all stuff, that you're wherever the cracks were, you're, you're going over the cracks. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to go over any cracks that maybe in your walls, your foundation, where, where worry or, or fear or whatever it may be, a spirit of the air that is trying to get you out of being anchored in his nature and that you would begin to align yourself again this morning where you would begin to reestablish trust, that it would be a place of worship, that, that you would begin to release a fragrance to the throne room as an act of worship in the midst of not knowing what's going on, that you choose to worship, that you choose to trust, and so this morning, we choose to trust. And in that place of trust, that the God of hope would crash in, that peace and joy would crash in. So Lord, in this place, anxiety, depression, sleep deprivation, pain, that it would begin to bow to Jesus. As we trust in you, Lord, that we would begin to taste and see your goodness. That we would begin to experience you as our strong tower, our fortress, our rock. That we get to trust in you. And Lord, I just pray there's something in me of just like, there's something about just praying for the kids, praying for our teenagers. Lord, we just pray, Lord, for just the mental health of our kids. We pray, Lord, that they would flourish in this time, that they would begin to find ways to understand that, God, you're moving in the midst of inconvenience. 
just as you're still just staying there with the Lord. I had the privilege of doing a, a surf camp on the beach for kids in July. And this little girl, she was 12 years old, and she just started crying on the beach saying, God gave me back my birthday. And in May was her birthday. And her mom you know, told me that she um, had a drive-by birthday and people sent birthday presents on Amazon. And she was so depressed that she stayed in her room for uh, seven weeks. Never left her room. And she's just crying on the beach saying, God's giving me back my birthday. All I wanted for my birthday is to have a beach party with my friends and surf. And that's what we were doing. God is the redeemer. He's the restorer. And so, Lord, we just pray for the restoration of dreams, restoration from disappointment. I feel like there's people here, you're going to do ministry trips, and they got canceled. You're going to do missions trips, and they got canceled. Lord, we just pray for restoration. We pray, Lord, that we would begin to understand inconvenience, that they're arrows. They're arrows. They're ammunition to destroy the enemy. That we would not look at moments of disappointment and cringe, but that we would look at moments of disappointment through the eyes of the Redeemer and restore and say, oh yeah, that's it. The enemy just played a really bad hand. I'm going to use that to destroy the works of the devil, that I'm going to, you know, game on for the next missions trip. I pray, Lord, that we'd be connected to hope, that you would break hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire realized is the tree of life. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited as I end that I'm going to stand up paddleboard. It's been five years. You You have to understand the journey. It's been five years. And it's like, I'm about, there's something that connects you to hope when you begin to step into, that you can actually see the traction and the pathway of you stepping into your promises, stepping into your God dreams. And so I just released that impartation, that maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 30 years, but that you would begin to see it, that you'd begin to be connected, that you begin to realize the desires of your heart, that it would connect you, align you to the tree of life, which is Jesus. So, Lord, break off hope deferred. Amen. All right, bless you guys.